The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible word from 1 Corinthians Turn in your copies to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> I'm also going to be quoting a couple of other passages, but this one not only will I read, but please have it open in front of you as we walk our way through the text in light of the affirmation on the third day he arose. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 1. I'm going to read actually through verse 19. Now, now I would, this is Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, as of first importance, What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, one to, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the great, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Now. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. The year was 1970. Uh, Many in this room weren't even born yet, uh, not even yet thought about, but uh, some of you were. 
And I certainly was. I'd been a Christian a little bit over a year. Uh, married, now married, and um, had done what I'd promised uh, Cindy's dad and mom. I'd gotten Cindy through school. It's hard work getting my wife through school. I mean, the hours I spent, uh, just amazing. I mean, sure am glad I love math and chemistry so much to get her through. Probably some of you don't realize how big of a joke that actually is. Uh, but uh, she graduated, and then I returned to that bastion of intellectual achievement, East Carolina University, and uh, to return to my educational process. And as I arrived, um, I was met with a challenge. But first, maybe before I tell you the challenge and the specifics of it, um, I had been raised in a Christian home. Now, I had not yet become a Christian, but in my home, Jesus' virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death, his resurrection, uh, his ascension, his second coming, never questioned. Just, it's true. We believe it. Fact, uh, that was in my home. Uh, it's in my immediate family, my extended family. I've never challenged, and there were no challenges on those issues. And in the churches, my dad and mom made sure we were in Bible-believing churches, and we were regularly there each Lord's Day morning and evening. So I regularly heard those truths preached unchallenged. But that was not the way it was when I got back as a new believer at East Carolina. Immediately in my classroom and my classmates, I was challenged on many of these issues. I want to take one individual that came to me, a man that I got to know, a young man that I got to know, he's a classmate, and he came to me and he said to me, so you've got this, you've now became a Christian since you were gone and now come back. I said, yes, sir. Um, God has saved me from my sins. Can I share with you? And he said, well, wait, 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 man. This Christianity stuff, it's okay. I mean, I think of all the religions, it's probably just as good or better than many of them. He said, but uh, don't bother talking to me because I can't, all that virgin birth, resurrection. I mean, how in the world can anybody that walks and can think and can function in a day possibly believe that? I mean, do you believe that? I said, sure. And then he said, well, I, I, he said, I'd just like to challenge you. And so he not only challenged me, and we started our discussion, but he then handed me a book. I'll never forget the book. In fact, I still got the book. I still got it all marked up. It was called The Passover Plot. Now, one of the valuable things about that is it attacks the, um, the resurrection of Christ as a skeptic. And it says, let me explain to you likely what happened. You know, you can't get away from the historicity that Jesus is real, that Jesus died on the cross. There's just too much extra biblical evidence historically to deny that. The resurrection, um, nah, that, that's just, that's a fabrication. That's a myth. That's a legend. That's this. That's that. It's the other. And so he said, um, he said, let me try to give you um, a more feasible and rational understanding. So he gave me the book, The Passover Plot, and I began to read it. Now, it summarizes some of the explanations. Uh, for instance, one explanation is people developed the doctrine of the resurrection because they forgot where the body was and uh, they lost the body. And so this legend about Jesus resurrected developed because they couldn't locate the body. They uh, lost it. Um, second uh, explanation was, no, the body wasn't lost. It was actually stolen. And it was stolen in order to create this myth and legend. 
of the resurrection, likely by his disciples, are some interested group. Third explanation was the conspiracy explanation, that either the Jews or the Romans stole the body so that um, so that they could put an end to things that uh, the end to everything. So that's the conspiracy the, uh, um, theory. Fourth one, really interesting, is called the uh, discernment theory. And this one says, you know, when the apostles said that Jesus is risen, I've seen him. What they really mean is that it took the death of Jesus for them to, quote, see what he was all about. And after his death, I mean, it's like a resurrection. We now see what he meant. We would use the phrase, well, now I get it. Now I got it. And what they're really saying is not see him with the senses of the eyes, but we see it cognitively, what all he was trying to teach us. Now we get it. Now, you know, folks, with all due respect, in fact, well, I don't really have any due respect for this. I shouldn't say that. Uh, You know, when somebody tells you something with all due respect, the one thing you can be assured of, the next thing out of their mouth will be without due respect. You can be pretty well assured of that. So, but with undue respect, uh, I, um, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, lost tomb in, in uh, what, three days, 72 hours, they lost the tomb. I mean, you ever heard a guy named Joseph Arimathea that owned it? Had it built, had it carved out. Hey, Joseph, now where was that tomb? Nearby, lost tomb. Boy, that was a leap of faith. Um, stolen bodies uh, by the Jews or the Romans. Well, when Peter stands up and preaches at Pentecost, this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. All they had to do was roll out the body. Christianity's over. Done. Um, what the, what's the really the most interesting, though, is the fifth one. They call it the swoon theory. That's what the Passover plot's all about. That Jesus was on the cross and he didn't really die. He went into a uh, shock swoon, uh, almost like a coma. And it looked like he was dead. I mean, we've had this experience of people pronounced dead and they weren't really dead. Jesus was one of those. He was pronounced dead. Uh, of course, these people do this for a living every single day, just about. They kind of know when somebody dies, but that's okay. We'll pretend like the uh, Roman soldiers really didn't know their trade. Um, and uh, But he didn't really die. And uh, therefore, he swooned. And then they took him down, and the spices they put around him, uh, and they put him into a tomb. And the coolness of the tomb and the aroma of the natural herbs and spices kind of you know, refreshed him and resuscitated him and he came forth and then came out of the tomb. Now, I got to tell you, I remember reading that. And listen, in East Carolina, for sure, I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, but uh, that was, I said, OK, wait just a minute. Uh, y'all remember the movie Passion? Uh, one of the things that would be a, 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 an asset of that movie is giving you some sense of the uh, scourging that Jesus went through. That just rips his body to pieces with those. These guys knew how to take you right to the point of death. And then leave you to suffer on that cross. They knew how to do that. And he's on that cross for hours. With all the weight upon his lungs and the buildup of the fluids. And then they stick a stick. They know where to do it. They put the spear through his 
rib cage into the cavity of his heart. And out comes the evidence of death, blood and water separated. Then they take him down. And even though it's not the final uh, preparation, they did get enough to get 75 pounds of spice on his body. You ever had 75 pounds of spice on your body? And then put him in a tomb. Roll the stone. And he took a breath of air and said, oh, man, I feel better now. In fact, I think I'm going to get up out of here and I'm going to go take that two and a half tone stun and I'm just going to throw it away. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Folks, the, the, it, listen, it's dishonest. It's deceptive. I can't give it due respect. It is, de- it is deceptive, it is dishonest, and it certainly does not treat the Bible even as, an, as a book, much less the Word of God. So what really happened? Well, the writers of the Apostles' Creed, remember? The disciples of the disciples of the Apostle. That's about it, 2nd and 3rd century. What they wanted you to do is they wanted you to have a distillation of essential biblical truth. Of what is Christianity. In fact, I am hoping and praying somehow out of this, the light will go on. And you and I, when somebody comes up to me and says, can you just tell me briefly, what what does it mean to be a Christian? Now, right now, what do most of us do? Well, we'll run to the bookstore. Debbie, how many books? And she'll give you a nice stack of books. I hope that somehow you'll say, oh, I can give you I can give you a brief explanation. God made you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Jesus saves you. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead. His body buried. His soul, true human body buried. His soul, true human soul, went to the realm of the departed souls in the second heaven, Sheol and Hades. And there he remained under the power of death for three days. The third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. That's what they've given you. It's not all the essentials, but it is a collection of the New Testament statements of the fulfillment of the Old Testament precepts and prophecies in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's given as in an economic fashion, only 100 words in Latin. But 75, three-fourths of those words you find in the second paragraph in affirmation concerning who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. In fact, it, it, borrows, the, it borrows the flow of Philippians 2 in biblical Christology. The flow of his de- Descent into humiliation, then his ascent in triumph. His descent, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, body buried, soul descended to Sheol. But his body, the psalmist says, 
will not suffer corruption. And I will not abandon his soul to Sheol and Hades. The third day, he rose again. And ascended. And sits. In session. King of kings and Lord of lords. And is coming again. This time, not to bear judgment, but to bring judgment and gather his people to himself. Who are those people? The work of the Holy Spirit. Who brings them into his church universal. His holy Catholic church. That enjoy the communion of saints. That know of the resurrection of the body. And are assured that they have life everlasting. It is those basic truths that are put together with all of the profile. And here you're at a crucial point. You have followed the descent of Jesus to its nadir. Now begins his ascent. Have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He humbled himself to be found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him. Step one of exaltation. The third day he arose. Three days under the power of death, body and soul. True body, true soul. The third day, he arose. Hey, do I have to believe that to be a Christian? Well, let me ask you, what do you think Paul would say? What do you think Paul would say if you ask him that question? Let me, um, when I look, you know, the creed, is what I said to, uh, shared with you is that creeds, they are confessions in worship, they are used in discipleship, and they are used to protect the purity of doctrine in the church. But any, there are biblical creeds, and then there are extra biblical creeds, and they're only so valuable as they're faithful to the scripture, which is why each affirmation, we're on our tenth one, I've taken you back to the most clear text, although there are many others, the clearest text to try to affirm that affirmation and its essential nature. And now we get to this one. Isn't it interesting? Passover plot, five theories. All of that. Well, how does the Apostle Creed, how do the writers of the Apostles' Creed, looking back at 1 Corinthians 15, how do they answer all of those? Third day he arose. That's how they answer it. And where are they drawing that from? Right here. 1 Corinthians 15. Other texts too, but right here. 1 Corinthians 15. But the Apostle Paul does a lot more than just simply state it. We can simply state it because of what all undergirds it that the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, did. So, um, when I was growing, I mean, Cindy will um, affirm this to you. I, if I've got some free time to watch a television program, I try to find some kind of a crime-solving program. I love crime solvers. And my favorite one of all time is... The vintage Perry Mason. I mean, go get it, go watch it, and watch Perry step, step, 
step, step, step. You get to the end of the program, the other guy stands up and says, me, I did it. <laughs> Let that guy free. You got the wrong guy all the time. And he just systematically backs into the corner the one who really did it and, um, and its implications. Now, I know Perry Mason, so let me try to get a little bit more contemporary. Uh, although it's through, too. You've got to go find it. Uh, Foley's War was my next one. I love that one. Uh, Foley the Detective. Now, what a great program. I just really enjoyed it. A few places I had to close my eyes and walk out. But, but most of the time, it was okay. And I really enjoyed solving it. So here is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, which is right below Athens, the intellectual capital of the world, and has become the sensual, immoral capital of the world. In fact, if you were an immoral person, you would be called a Corinthian. And the Apostle Paul writes to them because there in that church, the gospel is at work, saving them. Do you not know that no fornicator, no adulterer, no murderer, no sexually immoral, no homosexual, no effeminate, no, um, uh, uh, no thief shall enter the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you've been washed in the blood. You've been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that God has taken that Corinthian out of you and put Jesus in you. And it's showing up in your life. But they were also under the influence of Athens. And in Athens, this intellectual capital, Epicureanism, Stoic, all these isms, the most dominant Plato, who said, the spiritual is good, the physical, evil. That's why they burned bodies when people died. They had no hope. You wanted to get rid of the evil. That's why when Paul stood up at Mars Hill and preached the resurrection, they laughed at him. Who wants to be resurrected? They laughed at him. And now down south, just a couple of miles in Corinth, they denied the resurrection of the body of a believer after you die. So the Apostle Paul takes them on. And, the, and you can see the lawyer at work. He puts the Corinthians and their false doctrine denying the resurrection on trial. And he does it with five questions. Let me give them to you. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Is the resurrection of Jesus, is it historical? Is it historical? Have you noticed what the Apostles' Creed does here? On the third day, he arose. Which day? Hello? Third day. Have you noticed how the Apostles' Creed does not allow us to make Christianity a philosophical inquiry? It keeps rooting it in the authenticity of life, space, time, and history. Jesus suffered under who? Pontius Pilate. Jesus was born of who? Virgin. Real people, real time, real space, real events. And now he says, Jesus was resurrected not in their minds, not in a legend. Third day. On the third day, he arose. 
And also, look at them put it in the historical framework of biblical cosmology. That is how you view life. On what day did he arise? Third day. And, he, and you see, they're talking like Hebrews. Because in a Hebrew mentality, when you, how do you have a day? Evening and morning. And any part of that day makes the day. There, you remember the book of Genesis? God created and there was what? See, you think the day begins in the morning, not in a Hebrew mind. Hebrew mind, it begins in the evening. Sabbath doesn't begin at six in the morning. It begins at six on what we call Saturday night. And so, or in the Old Testament Sabbath on Friday night at six, sundown. And so when Jesus dies... On that day of preparation, that's one day, evening, morning, and all that is attached to it. Then he goes to the grave on that day. He is buried on that day. Then, the next day, there is evening and there is morning. And then the next day, there is evening. And in that morning, he rises. That's the third day. And that day, he arises. And in the Hebrew world and life view, the morning and the day, the evening and the morning declare the day. And so he arises. Historical reality, not invented solution to a lost body, stolen body, or a fabrication of a swooned body. Secondly, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Here's what he says. He was delivered up for our transgressions according to the scriptures. He was raised according to the scriptures. What scriptures? Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would die an atoning death, would be buried and would be raised. And it would be a third day resurrection. The prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus. The scripture, the gospels affirm the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The epistles expound and explain the death, burial, and resurrection of scriptures. Old Testament scriptures, New Testament scriptures. All point to Jesus. One points forward, the other one points backwards. Even more than that, folks, and I'm very, very indebted years ago to Dr. Ferguson, that where we're trafficking right now is Exodus 28. In fact, some of you listen to Fresh Bread, the devotional I do, and I just finished Exodus uh, not long ago, and I loved it when I was in chapter 28. In chapter 28, this is where we are. Crucified, dead, and buried the third day. Descended into Hades the third day he rose again. This is where we are in Exodus 28. What's Exodus 28? The tabernacle has been described. The sacrifices. The priesthood. The high priest. His garb. And then... He would have the 12 stones of the 12 tribes to carry them and their sins into the presence of God with a sacrifice of an unblemished lamb. And he would be clothed not only with the 12 stones of the 12 tribes, but also with the Urim and the Thummim upon his heart. And he would be wearing that robe and that and bearing all of that to take the sacrifice. And they would watch him as he goes into the Holy of Holies. And the question is, Exodus 28, will he come out? Because the wages of what? Sin is what? Death. Will he come 
out. Yom Kippur is the day, the day of atonement. The high priest alone can bring it. The sacrifice appointed by God, clothed in the robe that God had ordained for the priest. And when he goes in, will he come out? Can you not see them on that day? Jesus, our Messiah, our priest, king, and prophet. Bearing the sacrifice. And he's not only the priest, he's the sacrifice. He's not only the fulfillment of the priesthood. He is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Will he live? Will he come forth? You see, that is exactly what is at work. It is biblical by prophecy, by gospel, by epistle, and by signs and types and symbols. Thirdly, I got to do these faster. You ready? Right fast, please. Number three. Not only is it historical and biblical, if it's historical and biblical, it's got to be verifiable. Okay, Paul, that all sounds good. Give us some witnesses. The Bible says everything has to be confirmed by two or more witnesses. Okay, I got a bunch of them. Let me start. And by the way, he doesn't even call all of them he knows about. We know that after the resurrection of Jesus in the scriptures, there are arguably 15 different appearances that Jesus makes most of the time to multiple people. So Paul can start calling them. But Paul, you know, he doesn't even bother calling the women. Although the Bible makes a big deal out of the women being the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. And they were the witnesses. Mary, go tell. She was a witness. The women went to tell. They were witnesses. But not only were they witnesses. He says, okay, Cephas. That's another name for Peter. Peter's a witness. Go call Peter. Um, not only Peter, but uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who right now is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, as I write this. Go call James and ask James. Now, by the way, he and his brothers were mocking Jesus, but go call him. Now he's the pastor. Ask him if Jesus, if he saw Jesus resurrected. Uh, thirdly. There were, we don't know the time, we're not told in the Bible, but clear from the Apostle Paul, there was a time where there was an assembly of 500 or more professing believers. And as these believers, they got together with Jesus after his resurrection prior to his ascension. He said there were 500 at one time. He says three things. They met at one time. This is not 500 people had an experience and got together and created. This is 500 people at one time see Jesus together. Not a collection of individual moments of hysteria. 500 see him at one time. Now, some of them, secondly, some of them have fallen asleep in Jesus. But the rest, still alive. Go check their email address. Go give them a call. Go get in touch with them. They're all available for you to speak with. The women, Cephas, Peter, the disciples. The apostles saw him. And then he gives himself. 
I saw him. Now, Paul, when did you see him? You weren't there, were you? No, I didn't see him there. I'm a disciple untimely born. (laughs) My birth did not allow me, nor did my new birth allow me to see him then. But I did see him. Because after he was converted, the book of Galatians tells us he was taken out into the wilderness and he saw who? The risen Savior. And the risen Savior taught him. I received from the Lord, not from men. And the risen Savior taught him. So he said, there's there's some people. It's verifiable. Go check the witnesses. Number four. Is it essential? Can I not believe in the resurrection of Christ and still be a Christian? He says, well, the only thing I can tell you is I've given you the gospel. And if the gospel isn't true, then your faith is in vain. And the gospel that I delivered to you is of first importance. And the gospel is Jesus died for your sins and was raised. It is essential. In fact, he creates a way to do it. The Apostle Paul, man, I tell you, he must have he must have gotten a good law degree from Gamaliel. And then he must have gotten some good philosophy training somewhere because he reaches in to a very dangerous tactic that you can use in a fallacious way. It's a it is a tactic of discussion, a philosophical analysis. It's called reducio ad absurdum. Reduce in absurdity. Now, you can do it falsely, but you can also do it rightly. Paul does it rightly. What you do is you take the premise that someone is proposing, and then you enter in, you fairly and rightly and honestly represent it, then you show where it leads to, and ultimately it is absurdity. That doesn't mean fallacy is you treat it as absurd. No, you treat it with integrity. Then you trace it out logically and philosophically to where it leads. So what did they say in Corinth? There is no resurrection of the body. So what does Paul say? Paul says, well, if there is no resurrection of the body, then Christ hasn't been raised. You see what he's saying? What is Christ? He's the what? First fruits. What is our resurrection? Where the harvest, you know, the first fruit is when you get the first fruit, you know, a harvest is coming. Right. So if there's no harvest, what does that tell you? That means there was no first fruits. That means there's no first fruits at all. Or think of it this way. A general resurrection of the believer. If that doesn't happen, then a particular resurrection of Christ could not happen. If that can't happen, then this can't happen. And if this doesn't happen, then that means that doesn't happen. And then he really drives it home. He says, listen, let me give you the absurdity of such a thought. Here's the absurdity. Not only is Christ not risen, but if Christ isn't risen, let's trace it out a step further. That means my preaching is in vain. There's nothing more stupid than what I'm doing, Paul says, what I've given my life to. Let me personalize it. I have lived um, the vast majority, almost 50 years of my life as a preacher of the gospel. If Jesus isn't raised, I am an utter idiot. Now, some of you may have already come to that conclusion. That's okay. But I am an utter idiot. My message is idiocy. 
My calling and my vocation is nothing but a wasted, empty endeavor if Christ isn't risen. It's vain. It's empty. It's nothing. And then he says, secondly, your faith is in vain. You believed in a lie. I don't care how sincere you are. If Jesus isn't raised, your faith is nothing but vanity. Thirdly, not only is my preaching in vain, but and your faith is in vain, because I preached and you believed. My preaching is vanity. That means your faith is vanity. He's already covered that in the first few verses. But thirdly, he says this. We're false witnesses of God. If we say that God raised Jesus from the dead and he didn't raise him from the dead and Jesus isn't risen, then we're false witnesses. You remember, there's a cult out there. I remember R.C. pointed this out one time. There's a cult out there that um, is called Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, you just joined a cult. Your cult is Jehovah's false witnesses. You are blaspheming Jehovah if Jesus isn't risen. Fourthly, you're still in your sins. Their guilt, their shame, their power, and their destination of hell if Jesus isn't raised. Sixthly, or what is that, fourth or fifth? I don't know. Next. Next. Fifth. All those people that died in Christ, they perished. Uh, it's worm food. All those platitudes beside the grave, oh, they're in a better place. Hogwash. You remember your loved ones? Who believed in Jesus and at the grave, the pastor comforted you with biblical truth, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, listen, if Jesus isn't raised, that's that's empty. That's nothing. There is no comfort. Sixthly, if Jesus isn't raised, we ought to be pitied. Hey, world, don't get angry at us. Don't get irritated with us. What you ought to do is pity us. We are of most men to be pitied if Jesus isn't raised. Seventhly, life is empty. I am deeply indebted. I did a podcast with Nancy Guthrie, and she asked me about my preaching on Ecclesiastes and what she was doing. And then she made a point to me, and I said, my goodness, I wish I could have talked to you before I did my series on Ecclesiastes. She said, have you noticed how many times in 1 Corinthians 15, tied to the resurrection of Jesus, is the word vanity? She's, he's borrowing from Ecclesiastes. If Jesus isn't raised... Preaching, empty. Faith, empty. Future, empty. Everything's vanity if Jesus isn't raised. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the resurrection's essential? I believe in the resurrection. And therefore, I believe in the resurrection of Christ. On the third day, he arose. Well, let me just give you your takeaway. Your takeaway. 
I want y'all to, I want y'all to know this is, this so overwhelms me, all of this, but I'm going to just bring it to a conclusion uh, as we are tr- trying to do in this present distress. Here it is. Here's your takeaway. While the body, while the Bible resolutely affirms that the resurrection of Christ is historical, scriptural, verifiable, essential, and effectual. Oh, wait. Pastor, you left out effectual. Well, no, I didn't. Not really. Go back to the witnesses. Mr. Peter, is Jesus raised? Yeah, saw him. Mr. Peter, is his resurrection effectual in your life? Oh, yeah. I was a traitor. Now I'm a preacher. I denied him three times. His resurrection, I'll tell you, it's effectual. I'm forgiven and I'm a preacher. I'll never deny him again. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. Women, did the resurrection of Jesus change your life? You who were discouraged on the way to the tomb, did you leave it differently because he was risen? James, Mr. Half-Brother of Jesus, with your three other brothers, did the resurrection of Jesus do anything to you? Yeah, I once mocked him and made fun of him. Now I believe him. And by the way, James is about to die for him as the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Paul, did it make any difference to you? Yeah, I killed Christians. Now I win them. I destroyed churches, now I plant them. I hated Christians, now I love them. I have been changed. I love the hymn to sing it. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. But what I really love is what underlies that. You ask me why I know he lives. He lives within my heart. You ask me how I know he lives. It's historical. It's biblical. It's verifiable. And yes, he lives within my heart. And yes, he doesn't live because I live. I live because he lives. And this Savior is the one who took this ungodly, immoral, profane blasphemer. Not only save me, but allows me to take his holy word and teach it to his people. The resurrection of Jesus is not only biblical, historical. It's not only verifiable. It's not only essential. It is also effectual. Harry, can I be a Christian And not believe in the resurrection? No. Harry, is it a secondary doctrine? No. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 4.25. He was delivered up because of our sins. He was raised because of our justification. Three days after his atoning death, he was in the grave. Was it vain? Can you go back with me to Exodus 28 and I'll close in prayer. In Exodus 28, we get to the issue of this. 
It also relentlessly demands your response and your response to the resurrected Christ will determine your comfort or your condemnation in life and death. Let me ask you a question. Was there a real American revolution, war of independence? Was there a real one? Was there a real declaration of independence signed? Did Caesar cross the Rubicon? Those are historical events. Jesus was raised. That's history. Faithful to the word. You and I will die. Only two exceptions, Enoch and Elijah. You and I will die. Then the judgment. That's reality. What you do with this will determine what happens there. Why will you die? Will you not live through the one who died for you and lives to ever save you? I can't imagine what it was like as those Israelites would watch Aaron with the lamb. And they takes the sacrifice and they watch him and they hear him because you remember that robe that had the 12 stones that also had the Urim and the Thurm. It had something else. God had put at the hem of the robe a golden bell. They not only saw him, they could hear him. He passed the court of the women. He passed the court of the Gentiles. He passed the court of the Israelites. And then they saw him no more into the Holy of Holies. But they could hear the bell. Jesus, our high priest, clothed with his righteousness. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Will he come again? For three days they heard no bell. But then the third day, the Lord's day, he arose. I see the Redeemer, my priest, and I see the Lamb standing who was slain for me. I believe in the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments with your people in this, your word. Would you speak to their hearts by your spirit? I don't want to say much because I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But if you're a believer, I hope and pray the comfort and the encouragement of the resurrection of Christ as a biblical, historical, verifiable, essential and effectual truth will fill your heart. But if you're not yet to Christ, I pray in some way. The Spirit of God would let you see the absurdity of not receiving the one who died for you. He humbled himself 
and now exalted Christos Victor, announcing the triumph of his atoning death. Would you humble yourself that you might be exalted in Christ who is risen? Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, do your work. Anyone here not yet in Christ, bring them to the one who lives to save them. Those who have, comfort them and encourage them. He lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.